I don't know if you've heard the phrase uh, secular age, but you could say one way of describing the times that we live in is this. We're living in a secular age, a secular time. But what does that mean? Well, there's a few different ways you can explain that. But one way is this. We're living in a time where uh, most people, most institutions, most um, media outlets have said that religion is just not helpful. We don't need it. Uh, we don't need God. We don't need anything outside of what we can see. Uh, it's secular. You know, what we see is what we get. One way of looking at it is this. Imagine that uh, a secular view is this. We're in a room and there's no windows and there's no doors. What we see is what we've got, and that's all that there is. That's all there is. If you can't see it, it's not there, uh, and this is it. That's a secular view. There's, there's nothing outside, so there's no supernatural, there's no God, there's, there's nothing. It's just what we see. But I wonder if you can see the problem with that view that we've got at the moment. As a culture, we've gone to the things in this room, as it were, with no windows and no doors, and the things that we think will be enough for us aren't. We think, oh, we've got everything we need in here. We don't need God. We don't need religion. We don't need anything outside of here. We've got it all. But actually, we go to these things in this room, as it were, and we are left feeling empty. We think things will fill us up, but they don't. And I have a long kind of list of collection of, of people who have things that we think would satisfy us, but they end up saying they don't. Here's just a few for you. So Raquel Welsh, who was particularly famous in the 60s, 60s and 70s, uh, said this. I had acquired everything I wanted, yet I was totally miserable. I thought it was very peculiar that I had acquired everything I had wanted as a child, wealth and fame and accomplishment in my career. I had beautiful children and a lifestyle that seemed terrific, yet I was totally and miserably unhappy. I found it very frightening that one could acquire all these things and still be so miserable. And that is told time and time again. Boris Becker, you remember the, the tennis player Boris Becker said this, I had won Wimbledon twice. Once the youngest player, and I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. But it is the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. But I had no inner or Stephen Fry uh, said this. He says, I know that money, power, prestige, and fame don't bring happiness. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us that. You know it. Everybody agrees this to be a manifest truth so evident as need no repetition. What is strange to me is that, despite the fact the world knows it, it does not want to know it and chooses almost always to behave as if it's not true. So we look at people who in this kind of secular room, as it were, this room where the world is there's nothing else. We're in a room with no windows, no doors. This is it. They have the best things in that room, as it were. And still they're like, yeah, but there should be more. I should be feeling fuller, fuller than this. There should be more to life. Well, Jesus, in this passage today, helps us to see that something that is life-changing. And if we grasp this, it will give us this fresh new start to this year. Jesus, in this conversation with this woman, tells us this. We are all thirsty, but it's not a physical thirst. There is a spiritual reality to us and to this world that we need to understand. He wants us to know just as our physical bodies need water, 
our souls, our hearts, our spiritual selves need something else, need more. So it's as if Jesus comes into our secular room, which is a room with no windows, no doors, and says, look, there's a world out there that you can't see. There are windows, there are doors, there's more to life than the things you can see and touch. There is a God, he is real, there is need for more than what we see. C.S. Lewis said this famously in uh, his book, Mere Christianity. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So a baby feels hunger. What does that mean exists? It means food exists. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. We feel a sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. I find myself uh, a desire, if I find myself a desire which no experience of this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it and suggest the real thing. So if we find that in this secular worldview where there's, there's nothing but what we see and it doesn't work, C.S. Lewis says, well, that's pointing us to the reality of a world outside. So we live in a world where everybody is telling us and all that we absorb is telling us there's nothing more. This is it. But it is leaving us wanting more. So Jesus says to us today, you're spiritually thirsty because you need to drink from somewhere different. You need to go somewhere else. So we're going to think about this spiritual thirst this morning in John 4. And we're going to, first of all, listen to our thirst. Then we'll expose our thirst. And finally, we will quench our thirst. So John chapter 4, and we'll look at these three headings. The first is let's listen to your thirst. Listen to your thirst. So Jesus is sitting by a well in Samaria. He is tired. It is hot. We're told it's midday, so the hottest time of the day. And this woman comes, and um, he talks to her, and he says, have a drink. Now, this woman is shocked. You see in verse 9, uh, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So there's lots of reasons why it's surprising that Jesus uh, asked for a drink. One is that men, especially rabbis, teachers, wouldn't speak to women in public. It just wasn't the, the done thing. But not only that, she's a Samaritan woman. So Jews despise Samaritans. They look down on them as, as kind of um, people who weren't important for their historical reasons. And Jesus goes to this woman who is a Samaritan and he speaks to her. He gives her the dignity of asking her to help him. Now just before we go any further, notice as well that this is happening at the sixth hour of the day. And if you've heard um, this spoken of before, you might realize that that is a time where people wouldn't normally go and get water. So here's this woman who is going to get water, not the same time as everybody else, maybe because she wants to avoid people, maybe because she's actually an outcast of her own um, people. So here's somebody who's rejected by Samaritans, possibly. Um, she's a woman. She is uh, somebody who a Jew would have nothing to do with. And yet, Jesus goes to her and speaks to her. Before we go any further, notice what that tells us about Jesus. Whatever our background, whoever are, whatever you've done, Jesus breaks the boundary and he comes to you and he speaks to you and he honors you. And we need to take that to heart, don't we? Is there anybody you have ruled out or said, no, they can't hear about Jesus in your life? 
Well, Jesus doesn't let us do, do that. And if you were sitting there thinking today, there is no way that Jesus would love me or, or want to speak to me. Look at who he's talking to here. This is there to show us he goes and speaks. He goes and, and loves and cares for those who everybody else might have written off. So let's not write anybody else off. Don't write yourself off. Jesus cares and wants to speak to you. But Jesus, as he asks for this water, he turns it round to not just being about physical water. So verse 10, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, look, I can give you something better than physical water if you knew who I was. But she says to him, well, I don't really understand. How could you have water? You've just asked me for a drink, you know, and you haven't got a bucket, you're at a well. But then verse 13 and 14, he says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this physical water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water well enough for eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm not offering you physical water. You drink physical water, you'll need to drink again. But if I give you, if you have the water that I'm offering, the spiritual living water, you'll never have to, uh, you'll always know the satisfaction in your heart. What does Jesus mean here? What is this phrase, living water? Well, it's a phrase that actually comes up at another time in the Bible. Jeremiah 2 God's people have turned away from God. And they've turned away from God, but they've um, and turned to other gods, other idols. And in Jeremiah 2, it says this. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, there's the phrase. And I, they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here's what God's people are doing. They've forsaken living water. Here's God, the living water. And what they've done is they've made their own pots. And these pots are full of water. And because it's not living water, it's going to be stagnant water. And not just that, but these pots are cracked and they're, they're, they're oozing out water. Here's the living water. Fresh, um, living, you know, this, this kind of bracing, revitalizing, cool water that would really refresh you. Or you've got these man-made pots which are full of dirty, stagnant water. And what my people have done, God says, they've gone from this lovely, fresh spring, and they've turned to this murky uh, water. I don't know if you've ever owned fish. Uh, the thing with fish water, isn't it? You need to keep it clean. You need to have filters, or you need to have it. My grandmother used to have them. I didn't really know what was going on in there. But there was like a heater, and there was a bubbles, and it filters, and you have to clean it. If you just leave it without treating it, what happens to fish water? It just goes gunky and green, doesn't it? Because it's not living water, just sitting there, stagnant. So in the same way, God is saying, what my people have done is they've gone from the living water and they've gone and chosen this stagnant, dirty water. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see God talks about thirst a lot in a way that he's talking about himself. He says, so in Psalm 42, it says, my soul thirsts for God. There's this longing inside us for him. Or Psalm 63, um, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, as, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, so if we bring those two things together, do you see what Jesus has shown us here? Our souls need God like our bodies need water. We're aware, aren't we, of how dangerous it is to face dehydration. We can only go a few days without water. 
while our souls are desperate for spiritual water. So what have we done? Instead of going to fresh springs, the living water, God, who satisfies our souls, we've made our own pots. We've made our own things, and we have ended up drinking from stagnant, dirty water that will never satisfy. So today, before we look at what those things could be, let's listen to our thirst. Realize what's happening. Maybe finish the sentence. If only I had this. If only I had this, then everything would be fine. That would complete me. What do you think would give you ultimate peace and joy? Because that's where, at the moment, you are turning to give you that peace and the longing that you are after. But can you see that actually when we get those things, they never satisfy. They always leave us longing for more. And then there's another thing we think, okay, now I, that's all I need is this. We're surrounded and bombarded by information that tells us this will satisfy. That's all you need. And so we keep on turning to different pots, different um, vases, as it were, different man-made uh, pots of water, and they're full of stagnant water. And we think they fill us up for a bit, but then we realize they won't leave us wanting more. This morning, God is calling you and he's saying, come to me, the living water. Jesus says, I am the one who can refresh and satisfy your souls. So listen to our thirst. Listen to what it's telling us. The second thing is this. We now need to expose our thirst. Because look at what Jesus does next in this passage. Verse 15, she says, she hears Jesus says, you know, I've got water that you'll never have to need to come here again. And she says, well, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. You have to come here to draw water again. I don't have to come here in the middle of the day in this hot weather. That sounds great. You know, give me this water. But what Jesus then needs to do is this. He needs to show her where she's been turning to satisfy her heart. Her heart. Where has she been going to get what only God can give her? Well, he turns the question, he asks her the question, um, a command in verse 16. Go, call your husband, and come here. Now, what's Jesus doing there? Well, she then says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right saying you have no husband because you've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. What's Jesus doing? Why is he bringing up the, her home life when they were just talking about water? Well, John, what Jesus is doing is he's starting to show her Look where you're turning to satisfy your heart. Look where you're going so that, and that you think will fill you up. And we can kind of imagine a situation. This might not be the situation with her. We can imagine something like this because I'm sure we've tasted it or we've experienced it or you know people who, are like, who have experienced this. She finds the man who she thinks is the man of her dreams. This is it. He's brilliant. He's wonderful. He's, he does um, everything for me. He's, he's just wonderful to be with. And it's brilliant initially. But then over the years, um, they start to fight and argue. They start to see each other's annoying habits. And well, then she meets somebody else. Oh, he's the one I've been missing. He's the one I'm longing for. He's the one who's going to fill my heart up. And so they get together. And again, uh, it's great for the start, but then it goes pitchy. And she meets somebody else. And that goes on and on. You know, it might be that some of her husbands have died as well. We don't know the situation. But you can imagine, this will be it. The next one will be the one. He's the one. But it's not working. And Jesus is showing, look, you are turning to people to fill you up. And it's just a broken, cracked um, thing that you're turning to. It's not living water. It's stagnant water. Now, maybe today you need to expose that in your heart. And God is 
maybe saying to you, look, are you turning to other people to satisfy your heart? Are you looking for a relationship that you think, if I could just have that, then I'll be full. Then I'll, I'll, that's all I'll need. And then you end up getting frustrated when people let you down. We place our whole hopes on a person, and it is no surprise that they can't bear that weight, do we? Maybe for you it's not relationships, but maybe there's something else that you're turning to. Something else that you think, this will fill me. Whether it's the new job, or the pay rise, or the holiday, or the new carpet, or the extension, or the kitchen, or the outfit, or the haircut, or the uh, diet, or the look, or the weekend, or whatever it is. What is it that we turn to? And you think, this is it. This is going to sort it all out. Well, what happens when we get those things? Just look back on the past. Don't we know we get those things and we think, oh, I need something else now. Why? Because we've turned from God, who will satisfy us, to other things. And they don't work. Uh, Unbroken is a book, and it's a film now as well, that tells the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, he's a person who survived the Second World War, and um, in the middle of the, the story, he is in a plane crash. And he ends up with a few men, and they're on a raft for weeks and weeks in the ocean. And uh, they're floating on the sea. What are they dying of? Well, they're dying of thirst. They manage to get some, some rainwater, and they manage to collect it, which helps them to survive. But they're thirsty. And the description in the book just gets across something of how you know, they're desperate for water. And here's the thing. What are they surrounded by? Floating on a raft. They're thirsty. But if they drink the ocean water, the sea, the salty water, it's going to kill them. And so the, the temptation is they, they want to drink it, but they know it's going to kill them. It wouldn't quench their thirst. It would just leave them worse off. Well, today, are we like that? We're floating on the raft as we're in our life, and all around us are things that promise to satisfy us. But if we go to them to satisfy us, you know, God gives us good gifts we can enjoy, but if we think they're going to be the answer, they'll end up leaving us more thirsty and more spiritually dehydrated. Jesus says, come to me. Delight yourself in me. Maybe today you're turning and it's something that is um, a good gift of God and you've made it into something that is going to be ultimate. This will work for me. Maybe you're turning to something that you know God is saying, no, that is sinful, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. Jesus is saying, look, you're made for more. Don't settle with the little things of just a, this kind of secular room where there's nothing else that's physical. There's more, there's richer, there's better. Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. Turn to me. Not the salty water. Turn to me. Now, Jesus is saying here, I can satisfy your heart. Isn't that so much different than we expect from Jesus? So often we can think Jesus um, says, you know, sort yourself out. Sort your, sort your own mess out and then come to me when you've done it. But no, Jesus says, as you are, come to me and I will fill your heart. I will fill your heart. So we need to listen to Jesus and listen to our thirst. We need to expose that thirst to see where we're turning. And the last thing is this. We need to quench our thirst. Quench your thirst. So we're walking around thirsty, as it were, and nothing in this world is satisfying us. How can we get access to the living word? How can we have this water that Jesus speaks of? Well, Jesus says here, come to me. If you come to me, I can give you this water. I am the living water. And Jesus had to do something to give us access to his living water. The theme of thirst comes up again in uh, John's Gospel. 
if you look at Jesus when he's dying on the cross, cries out. one of the things he cries out is this, I thirst. In Psalm 22, it says that his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. It really gets across the dryness of his mouth and just how thirsty he was. But also, point, it's not just a physical thing that Jesus is experiencing on the cross. There's something deeper and richer going on. It's actually, he's pointing us back to this conversation. What's the significance? On the cross, Jesus, remember, is our substitute. He's taking our place. As he is dying on the cross, he is taking what we deserve. We say to God that the fountain of living water, no thanks, we're going to go and find our own water. And we end up just thirsty and thirsty and thirsty because we've, we've kind of gone away from the living water. But on the cross, Jesus was taking the consequence of our actions, as it were. Jesus was saying, well, I will take that in their place. I will be cut off from the living water, God, and I will take their spiritual thirst. And I'll end up saying, I'm thirsty. This is what it feels like to not be satisfied in my Father. And he took our place. He was cut off from the living water. But, remember, there's two things going on the cross. Jesus took our place so that we can take his place. So he says to us, look, I will take your thirst so that you can know access to the living water that I know and have enjoyed for eternity past. Come to me. I can give you access to the living water. I've paid the price of your consequences for your wandering away. He felt this deep thirst because he was taking our place. See, we're the ones who've gone the wrong place to satisfy us. We've gone to the stagnant wells. But Jesus says, no, I will take that. I will experience your thirst. And so Jesus, as he dies on the cross, is making it possible for anyone and everyone to come to know him, to come to know the living water. That's why he says, whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water well enough to eternal life. He's referring to the Holy Spirit as well, the Spirit of God that fills us up and satisfies us. Maybe this morning you've been looking everywhere for something, and it's just not working. And you don't really know what you're looking for. Jesus says, the one you're looking for is me, the fountain of living water. This message, uh, this passage sorry, ends with a woman leaving the jar, as it were. She goes into the town and she says, um, you've got to come and meet this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. Isn't it wonderful? She doesn't need a, a kind of a class on evangelism. She doesn't need to learn certain amounts of things to be able to go. She just says, look, you've got to meet this. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? If you're a Christian this morning, we're called just to go and tell people. She has to share it because this news was so good. Or maybe you keep being brought along the church by somebody. And this is why. Because they want you to taste the living water. They want you to know him. And maybe we can think, and we, we, uh, if you're a Christian here, you think, well, who could I bring? Who is it that this year could experience this living water maybe for the first time? Let's pray. Pray that people would come to know and trust in him. Now, we started by thinking today about a room, a secular room, as it were, where, where we're told there's nothing more than what you see. You see what Jesus has done. He opens the windows, as it were. He says, there's way more than you realize. Stop being satisfied, trying to be satisfied with just the physical. There's more, there's richer, there's deeper. There's me. Jesus says, come to me and trust me. But before we finish, I just wanted to speak to those who are Christians here today. Because maybe you come to this passage and you think, I've come to the living water, but I feel dry. You're saying it's satisfying, but in my life, 
I feel empty. What do we do then? Well, the good news is this. You don't need to despair. Because that's the experience of Christians we see throughout the ages. See in Psalm 42, remember I read it earlier? He says there, my soul thirsts for God. I, I need him. Or Psalm 63, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. They're feeling dry. They're feeling thirsty. But they go to God. They go back to him. You know, the, the picture of being thirsty is really helpful, isn't it? We don't, when we're born, we're not kind of given a bottle of Evian and said, drink that, you're done for life. You don't need water again. And no, we need to keep going back to the water. We need to keep drinking because without that, our bodies, well, our bodies will fail. Maybe we need to remember to come back to Jesus a living water. Maybe it's been a long time since you've drunk from him, as it were, but you spent time with him. Set time aside to say, Jesus, I just want to talk to you about how I'm feeling. Jesus, I just want to pour my heart out to you. I just, maybe you need to ask someone else, can you pray for me in this? I want to know more of the living water. Maybe you've been going to broken jars and pots, and you just can see, yeah, it's leaving me feeling thirsty instead of going to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning. Come back to him. That's what repenting is. Turning from our broken jars and turning back to the living water. We need to keep going back to him. Keep drinking of one drink when you become a Christian or whatever that was isn't enough. We need to keep coming back to Jesus. Keep feasting on him. Keep enjoying him. And maybe as you look back on this last week, there have been places you know you've gone or things you've thought of in your mind. You think that will satisfy me. That will give me comfort. That will give me rest. But actually it hasn't worked. Maybe you just feel totally exhausted with it all. Well, this morning, Jesus is saying, come back to me. Maybe you need to say, um, just say out loud, Jesus, I want to come back to the living water. I've been going to the broken systems, Lord. And they're not enough. They've left me feeling empty. Maybe you just feel exhausted trying to look for something else. And you realize you've come to the end again. And God has brought you to this point where he says, come back to me. Come back to me. Have you been looking somewhere else for your identity, for your purpose, for your meaning? Jesus calls you back. And just say, speak. Maybe say it out loud at times of temptation or struggle or when you're feeling uh, lost. I'm going back to living water now. I'm going back to Jesus. So if you're feeling dry, come back to Jesus. Come back to him and he says, no drinks from me. You'll never be thirsty again. I will satisfy. I will fill you up. Come to me, he says, and drink. Let's drink on him. Drink on the gospel. Drink on Jesus together. And we pray that each one of us will leave here knowing a fresh awareness of his goodness to us. Let's pray before we sing our last uh, song together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that when he came to this world, he was willing to talk to anyone and everyone from whatever background, whether it was the Nicodemuses of this world or the woman of Samaria. We thank you, Lord, that whatever our background today, Jesus, you come and you say, come to me. We thank you that you are the fountain of living water. We pray now in our minds and in our hearts, you would help us to expose where we've been going, expose and show us where we have been drinking from. And we pray, please, that today we know the refreshing um, joy of coming back to Jesus and know our souls at rest and at peace within. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.